morning. If you are following along and working with us through the book Beginnings, which is otherwise known as Genesis through Deuteronomy, we have been exploring the foundational story in the Bible. It's the core of the scriptures for the Jewish people, but it continues to be a fundamental part of God's word for all of us. Um, And yet, it's a part that we're familiar with bits and pieces, but we don't tend to be familiar with the whole of it. Some of it's really easy to read, and some of it, quite frankly, is kind of, we glaze over when we start reading certain things. Uh, Between you and me, I've always found reading the instructions of constructing the tabernacle and then getting to read it again, one of the most challenging parts uh, to, to keep my mind focused on what's going on. Plus, it's very difficult for me to picture what's being described. I'm so grateful for those study Bibles that sometimes give a drawing. It helps me read, okay, because it just doesn't work for me at all. Um, But it has been a great experience for me. I'm reading a week ahead of you, so I've finished the book of Deuteronomy, and and I'm just going to explore a little bit of of the end, um, somewhat of the end. And next week, we're actually going to take one more week, and we're going to kind of celebrate Uh, what we've discovered, and maybe try to go just a little bit deeper with um, one of the fundamental things God wants to say. One of the fundamental things he said to his people back when, but he continues to speak to us. We're going to try to pay attention to that, uh, but next Sunday. This morning, uh, we're going to be focusing on something that's actually, it's a word we don't really use all that much, except in church. It's the word worship. Do you use the word very often? Except with reference to what we do here? Um, you know, broadly speaking, as Christians understand things, we, we have various phrases and ideas that come to us, particularly from the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians and in Colossians, where Paul talks about this idea that in life we can do all that we do for the glory of God. And so that there is a sense in which, uh, rightly understood and rightly lived, the whole of our lives is a part of our worship to God. We live, or we're intended to live, God-centric lives, theocentric lives. God is at the very center and core of who we are in every part of our lives. That's what we just heard in that film, that Deuteronomy helped the people understand that God cared about every part of their lives. God's not just interested in a religious slice. He's not just interested in your feelings. He's not just interested in part of your life or part of our world, but he's interested in the whole of it. I'm sure I've quoted it lots, but uh, I don't quote it as often as they do over at Calvin, I'm sure, where the, the name Abraham Kuyper, a theologian and a prime minister and a writer and a teacher and a pastor and a thinker from the late 1800s, early 1900s in the country of the Netherlands, Abraham Kuyper once said, there's not a single square inch in all of creation over which Jesus Christ doesn't say, mine. God made everything. God cares about every part of our lives. And when we offer our work and our play, when we offer every part of our life, and we say, God, I'm doing this. I'm going to work this week for your glory. I'm going to love my wife this week for your glory. I'm going to study this week for your glory. I'm going to play right now for your glory. We're living out something of of part of what that means when Jesus Christ has a claim over every part of our lives. But have you ever heard uh, this idea? When something means everything, it sometimes ends up meaning nothing. And so if we only camp out on the idea that the whole of our lives is what our worship is, 
sometimes it just leaks and we lose track and lose sight of it all. And so I continue to believe that really focused times and the focused experience of when God's people come together, like we are right now, is still a very important part of the rhythm of worship in our lives. It's not all of it by any means, but it's a very important part of it. Still, all that being said, when we hear the word worship, we usually attach it as an adjective to the word service. And we're usually talking about what we do on Sundays. And that's true in the English language. We really don't use it a lot, except we come uncomfortably close, if you think about it. The Bible warns a lot, especially in the Torah, but other places as well, warns a lot about idolatry, about replacing God with something else in our lives and worshiping that, or worshiping that person or that experience or that thing. That's one of the, the great warnings. And I've always find it, found it just a bit uncomfortable that, that in modern times in America, we've, we've attended to things with names like American Idol. And actually, that uncovers a lot of the way we idolize lots of things. We tend to think idolatry is a struggle for primitive peoples and primitive cultures. We don't know anything about that stuff. I think I referenced one time a couple of years ago when I walked into a neighbor's home, family, parents were born di- far away from this country in a far different place, very successful people, very well off, um, but I walked into the living room and there in the corner of their home was a little section and basically it had, it housed things that I would call idols. And when I see that, I'm like, oh, I don't know anything about that. That's not my life at all. But that's a false conclusion. I don't have those kinds of idols in my life. But I struggle like you do, like the scriptures imply we all do, with idolatry, of putting things in the place of God. We're tempted to worship other things. And if we lived in England, especially in in previous years, we'd find the word worship was used in broader ways as well. Now, sometimes um, political leaders, I think mayors of towns, were referenced. If you came across the, the mayor or you were introducing the mayor in a public setting, you might refer to the mayor as my worship. Sounds so weird to us. It's not necessarily a matter of idolatry. I don't know too many people idolize mayors. But uh, people complain about mayors. They don't idolize them. All right. But nonetheless, that was just a way of saying, uh, the, the, more broadly, the word worship was to, well, you can see it in the, in the word itself. Worship, shorten it up a little bit and exchange a letter and you see the word worth or worthy. When we worship someone or something, we're saying there's value and there's significance in that. And when we take worship to the ultimate extreme, that maybe not the right word. When we take it to the ultimate, we are giving, we are saying that about God Himself. That God, you are, you are worth something. What a crazy way of putting it. You're worth more than anything or anyone else there is. You are worthy, Lord. You're worthy of my life. You're worthy of the best I have to offer. You're worthy of my worship, Lord. The truth is, I don't like to sing. I never sing with other people. And then I come to this place on Sunday mornings and we're all singing. And my voice, but you know what? You're worthy of the best I can offer. I know it's no good, but I'm still going to do it. It's just my offering because you are worth that much. Worship. 
matters. But we take it for granted. We don't think about it very much. And this morning, I hope that we can understand it a bit more deeply by opening um, our Bibles. And if you're using a beginnings book, I am reading from Deuteronomy chapter 26, which is on page 309 in the beginnings book. And we're going to throw these words up on the screen. All right? Verses 1 through 11, I believe is the plan here. So maybe it'll be easier for me to do this. Let's stand together in honor of God's word this morning. When you enter the land, the Lord your God, so uh, Moses is talking to people about something that's about to happen soon. When you enter the land, the Lord your God is giving you as a special possession, and you have conquered it and settled there, put some of the first produce from each crop you 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 harvest into a basket and bring it to the designated place of worship, the place the Lord your God chooses for his name to be honored. Go to the priest in charge at that time and say to him, With this gift, I acknowledge to the Lord your God that I have entered the land he swore to our ancestors he would give us. The priest will then take the basket from your hand and set it before the altar of the Lord your God. You must then say in the presence of the Lord your God, my ancestor Jacob was a wandering Aramean who went to live as a foreigner in Egypt. His family arrived few in number, but in Egypt they became a large and mighty nation. When the Egyptians oppressed and humiliated us by making us their slaves, we cried out to the Lord, the God of our ancestors, and he heard our cries and saw our hardship, toil, and oppression. And so the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a strong hand and a powerful arm, with overwhelming terror and with miraculous signs and wonders. He brought us to this place and gave us this land flowing with milk and honey. And now, O Lord, I have brought you the first portion of the harvest you have given me from the ground. And then place the proudest before the Lord your God and bow to the ground and worship before him. Afterward, you may go and celebrate because of all the good things that the Lord your God has given to you and your household. Remember to include the Levites and the foreigners living among you in the celebration. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be, may be seated. So what I want to do with you this morning is uh, think about uh, worship in a number of different ways and just try to understand it more deeply so that as we understand what we're doing, we can engage in it with more uh, purpose, more energy, more focus, so that we don't waste our gathering together on Sunday mornings by just going through the motions, which is so tempting for all of us, including pastors. It is easy to do, but God wants us to worship with our actions, with our bodies, with our words, with our minds, with our hearts, with our intention. So let's just see what we can discover about worship from this passage. And the first thing I want to say to you is worship is actually grounded in the gift of God. It is as much as anything else, gratitude. Worship, uh, it's almost like worship isn't the first, the first thing about worship isn't about us, It's not our idea. We didn't think it up. It's all based on this, that God is a God who's given to us, and so we respond to what he has given to us. And I don't know if you noticed, but the word give or gift is used again and again and again in this passage. It's used in verses 1, 2, 3, 9, 10, and 11. Again and again, um, the, the worshipers are saying, God, I'm coming to you right now because of what you have given me. And that's 
the beginning of worship. Worship isn't what we do to try to get God's attention. We're doing something in response to what God has already done. It's not a great idea by itself. It's, it's not just a, a project that we've taken on. It's more than a habit in our lives. It's not just because of something we committed to a long, long time ago or fell into suddenly, but because God is real, God is alive, God is around, and God is given to us. So we come to worship. Worship involves appreciation and, and considering the reality of what God has done and how good he is to us. And so when the people come, and, and, and Moses gives this description, when they come to worship, they come and they say, Lord, I'm here right now to acknowledge you and to appreciate you because of what you have given to me. Where's worship begin? Worship begins in, in wonder. A couple weeks ago, I was driving on the highway. I think it was on 131, but it was somewhere around town. And I saw a big billboard, and I think it said something like this. Wonder is the beginning of wisdom. Anybody ever heard words like that before? Wonder is the beginning of wisdom. Now, if you're like me, a sometimes cranky Christian, uh, I, I had my cranky Christian on when I passed that sign. I'm like, oh, nice, secularizing the Bible. Because you know what Proverbs says? Proverbs says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And I read and I thought, nice way to cut out God. Okay? But you know what I've reconsidered a little bit? Because I actually think that maybe the beginning of the fear of God is wonder. That wonder, that seeing something, that understanding something, experiencing something and going deep with it instead of just living on the surface of it. Having your eyes open to what's going on in your life, what's, your eyes open to what's going on around you, not for just what's broken and what's just wrong and, and what is ugly, but for what is beautiful and meaningful and makes you smile and laugh and makes you want to point it out to somebody else. That's wonder. And an atheist truthfully struggles with wonder. Because there's not much to do with it. But a Christian should never struggle with wonder. Because when we wonder, when we look at something, we experience something, we say, wow, we are also led to say, thank you. Because we see God's hand in it. G.K. Chesterton, a uh, long time ago, British writer from a century ago, suggested this, that each new day is not just the product of an inexorable mechanical process, Rather, each new day is a result of God saying to the sun, do it again. And to the moon, do it again. And to my heart, beat again. And to my lungs, breathe again. Do you hear what Chesterton said? I want you to hear the whole of it. Listen to it one more time, okay? Because this is not an either or, okay? He's not ignorant about science. So listen to what he says. He says, each new day is not just the product of an inexorable mechanical process. In other words, there's a scientific way of looking at what goes on. And that way is not wrong. It tells us lots of truth. But it does not tell us everything. It tells us, it gives us lots of understanding of how things happen, but it can never speak to why things happen. 
Science can help us understand and maybe even see something we would never otherwise see, but science is deeply connected, if it's, if it's going well, with that same experience of wonder. But it doesn't ultimately know what to do with it. And so Chesterton said, it's not just the result of an inexorable mechanical process. Try saying inexorable at home later. I'm doing okay today. Rather, each new day is the result of God saying to the sun, do it again, and to the moon, do it again, and to my heart, beat again, and to my lungs, breathe again. Abraham Joshua Heschel was a great Jewish theologian, and he said, awe is the beginning of wisdom. And he knew the statement, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom really well. Awe and fear go together. Because what is fearsome is what is awesome. And when we come to worship, whether we've seen something that just utterly wowed us or not, there are always things that we can be aware of that we have to respond to. Worship begins with God, and it is as much as anything a matter of gratitude. But I want to jump to something else. I might have said first, except that I, I wanted to express that worship begins with God and not with us. But for us, worship is a priority. Uh, listen again to um, what this says in the first couple of verses. When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you as a special possession, and you've conquered it and settled there. This is talking about a special moment of worship, Okay. This is not a description of weekly worship, but we're learning something from it about weekly worship and about regular ongoing worship. But this specific passage was about a particular moment that was probably going to be repeated, but they described it in terms of the first moment. So when you've entered the land that the Lord your God is giving you as a special possession, you've conquered it and settled there, put some of the first produce from each crop you harvest into a basket and bring it to the designated place of worship. The place the Lord your God chooses for you, um, chooses for his name to be honored. Hmm. There's something here about God and our relationship with God and our gratitude to God being first in our lives. A priority. When you enter the land, when you conquer, when you are actually living in the land and occupying that land, it is your home. And you come to the first harvest of what you've planted. Maybe it was easier for people in an agricultural world and an agricultural time to, to understand this and live this out. We have to think it through in different ways. But for them, when you get that first harvest, take some of the first of the produce and bring it to the Lord. First priority at the beginning. Uh, I can't believe how fast time is going. Anybody feel that way? I don't just mean um, that it's March. I mean that it's 2018. I saw someone put up something the other day that 1990 is almost 30 years ago. Now, if you're less than 30 years old, big deal. Okay, now that means nothing. But if you're above a certain age, it's, it's almost mind-boggling to think. That it's almost mind-boggling to think that 2000 was almost 20 years ago, a, f- a fifth of a century. Um, So 40 years ago, I got my first full-time, real big deal job. It was 1978. I'm thinking the uh, minimum wage was something like $3.10 or something. I don't know, but it was probably somewhere around there. 
And I got a job working construction. A year and a half ago, I was on vacation with my family, and I ran into, in one day, I saw the guy who owned the company that I worked for, and I saw the man who was the foreman on the job that I worked for. It was really cool. I work construction with the Lindbergh Gustafson Construction Company in the Chicago area, building homes. And we were initiating the first, uh, some of the first homes in a, neighbor, in, in a suburb called Hoffman Estates. Oh, I had to get up so early. The whole first week I went to bed, uh, my summer, I went to bed at 8.30 at night so I would be all rested. I got over that quickly, but I just could not imagine getting up as early as we had to get up to go to work. And I was making six dollars an hour. I was 17 years old. I was making six dollars an hour, almost double the minimum wage. And man, did that feel good. And you know what I did with the first eight days of that compensation? I saved it up and I put it in the bank right away. But you know what I did with that first eight days of that compensation? I brought it to church that first Sunday and I gave it all. Oh no, I didn't do that. No, 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 that's not what I did. I bought a $285 Alvarez guitar, acoustic guitar, that I still have, that's still in mint condition and that plays really well, even though none of you have ever heard it. That was the first thing I did, because that was my priority. That's, was that a sin? I don't know, except here's the thing. Do you know what? My, my knee jerk, something was missing. There was something missing in my reflex. Because here is the, the spirit taught heart. Here is the word instructed heart. God, I am so glad that you have given me the ability to do what I do. I'm so glad you've made the weather good today so we can actually work outside and, and the whole workplace isn't mud. I'm so glad that I know some people who made it possible for me to get this job. I'm so glad that Jimmy's around to drive me because I don't have a car and he can pick me up uh, at 6 o'clock in the morning and drive the, the 30 miles to work. Man, thank you. And as a way of making my thank you tangible, let me give you something. That's the reflex. Do you get it? That worship is a priority because God is a priority and that I want to respond to what he gives and respond to what he's doing in my life. And I'm just talking about money or giving. Just the the whole reality of worship, putting it first because God matters and because God is important. Worship itself is a priority. And something else I want you to see about worship. It is intensely personal. And it is an intensely personal engagement with God. And a lot of it comes out of our own experience. I I think it did for these people here too. So listen again. When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you as a special possession and you've conquered it and settled there, put some of the first produce from each crop you harvest into a basket and bring it to the designated place of worship, the place the Lord your God chooses for his name to be honored, and go to the priest in charge at that time and say to him, with this gift, I... Acknowledge to the Lord your God that I have entered the land he swore to our ancestors he would give us. This is profoundly personal. 
This individual, this he or this person or she, isn't the only one involved. There's lots of people doing this. It's a social reality. It's a community doing this. But the word of the moment, the pronoun, personal pronoun, is a singular one. I'm here because you've blessed me, God, and I want to say to you, thank you for what you have done in my life. Do you know what that's about? Do you know what it's like to, to come to church on Sunday, to come to a worship service, and have, come having considered, maybe you can do it in this very moment right now, what have I seen, what have I experienced, what has God gifted me with this week? That as I come to worship this morning, even though we're not going to be singing about my experience this morning, we're going to be singing praise to God and we'll be giving thanks for other things, but along with all of that praise and along with all of that gratitude, Lord, I'm here because you have blessed me and I want to thank you right now. That's what worship is. We're with a whole bunch of people. It's not just me and Jesus. It's us and Jesus. But God is speaking to me because I have gratitude that you don't have because you didn't live my life. You, 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 you didn't experience what I experienced this week. I have my own sins to confess. You have yours. I failed God this week. I need his grace. And the moment he gives me his grace, I'm like, thank you for giving me, for, for forgiving me. Do you see it? It's so important that we worship that way. But it is also important that we not only get stuck on our own little experience. This is going to sound really strange to us, but it would not sound strange to a Hebrew person at all. But listen to what goes on in, in the next moments. The priest will take your basket from your hand and set it before the Lord your God. And then you must say in the presence of the Lord your God, in the presence of the priest, this is what a worshiper is supposed to say. My ancestor Jacob was a wandering Aramean who went to live as a foreigner in Egypt. His family arrived few in number, but in Egypt they became a large and mighty nation. And when the Egyptians oppressed and humiliated us by making, their sla- making us their slaves, we cried out to the Lord, the God of our ancestors, and he heard our cries and saw our hardship, toil, and oppression. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a strong hand and powerful arm, with overwhelming terror and with miraculous signs and wonders, and he brought us to this place and gave us this land flowing with milk and honey. And now, O Lord, I've brought you the first portion of the harvest you've given me from the ground. And I'm going to guess that not a single one of you have, have ever used those words in worship on a Sunday morning. Anybody want to disabuse me of my foolish notion? Okay, none of us have. It sounds weird. That'd be like us saying, God, I thank you for, I'm I'm, I'm here this morning because my great, 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 great grandfather was a a non-wandering farmer on miserable land uh, that he shared with too many people in his family before he came to the United States to try to get out of, uh, to get some space to live in and, and, and on and on. But we don't even worship that way. Here's the thing, worship comes out of my own experience, but not only my own experience. Worship also tells a story, and it's a story that's bigger than my story. When we become Christians and when we come to know God through Jesus Christ, we are made a part of something much bigger than our own lives. Aren't you glad? Because sometimes my life is so small, and when I have screwed it up recently pretty well, it's not a great story to tell, and I wouldn't want to share it with anybody. But I want you to know something. My life begins to mean more, and my life begins to make some kind of cosmic sense 
Not just because I feel right and not just because things may or may not be going a little bit better for me or a little bit worse for me on this particular occasion, but because my life is a part of a much bigger story. I'm a part of a much bigger family. Not even my nuclear family or my extended family expresses the size of my family. I'm a, big, I'm a part of something huge. You know what? You and I could actually say that our father was a wandering Aramean. Because we've been grafted into the Jewish story. We are a part of a family that stretches back to Abraham. And you and I, if we know Jesus, are sons and daughters of Abraham. And their story is now our story. And so when we come to worship, we don't just tell our own stories and we don't just think of our own gratitude, but like we will do in a few moments, we gather around this table and we tell most of all one particular story of one particular son of Abraham who was Jesus, who lived here and taught us and healed us and cared for people, especially people nobody else cared about, and welcomed them in and brought them close and gave his life so that anyone could meet this God and become a part of the story, and he gave us this meal so we would never forget. Worship needs to be so personal, but worship can't end with the personal and individual. It tells a story, just like these guys. One more thing I want you to see this morning. One more thing. Worship involves joy. Verse 11. Afterward, you may go and celebrate because of all the good things the Lord your God has given to you in your household. After you've done this. The RSV puts it like this. And you shall rejoice in all the good which the Lord your God has given to you and to your house. Do you know what joy and worship means? Do you know? C.S. Lewis was bothered in the early years after he'd become a Christian, he started believing in God and he'd actually met Jesus and started believing these things. But he read something in the Bible that bothered him deeply. And it was this, that, that the Bible keeps telling us to praise God and praise God and praise God so much, it seems kind of crazy. And sometimes it seems like God himself is asking us to praise him. And C.S. Lewis thought that was kind of Seemed kind of, it bothered him. It seemed kind of pitiful. Like, like if you or I were walking around trying to get people to praise us all the time. Like God desperately needs our praise and, and, and all the rest. He, he, he found it desperate and unattractive. In a, in a book he wrote uh, some years ago. Trying to remember the name of the book. I didn't write it down. Something about the Psalms. Someone tell me the name? Doesn't matter. Okay. C.S. Lewis Psalms, you can Google that, it'll work. The miserable idea that God should in any sense need or crave for our worship like some vain woman wanting compliments or a vain author presenting his new books to people who've never met or heard of him. It just seemed pitiful to Lewis until he started understanding something about what worship really is and what praise really is. Um, I watched a little bit of the end of a basketball game last night. Anybody watch Duke in North Carolina? So I, I, I was watching particularly at the end, and uh, Grayson Allen was just coming out towards the end. And, um, you know, great basketball career in, in college. Probably a future of some kind coming. Uh, an amazing athlete. And he walked off the court, and then he was going to every single member of the coaching staff, 
just talking to them and hugging each one. My impression was the game was still going on like the last few seconds, and they were not even any, any longer showing that because it wasn't close at that point. They were just showing Grayson, hugging everybody and talking to them and smiles and the laughter, and then going to players one after another. And you know what? It, it was just like it, it was expressing the joy of what they just experienced. And it would have been missing something if Duke had come back from a 20-point deficit and won that game. And then uh, Grayson Allen, on his last regular season game as a college player, had gone off the court and just gone down, flat face, no expression, and just sat down and done nothing. Do you know that actually... The high fives and the hugs and the smiles and the intensity was part of the experience. And doing well on the basketball court and having that experience would have been incomplete without the celebration and without sharing it with somebody else. Man, do you ever go somewhere? Do you ever experience something? Do you ever go fishing and catch something? Go hunting and bag something? Do you ever um, go to some concert and it's the most amazing music you've ever heard? And then you come back and you don't tell anybody about it? You play golf. Have any of you played golf and gotten a hole in one and told nobody? (laughs) Of course not. When something good happens and it brings joy to our lives, we instinctively want to tell somebody about it. We want to share it. We want to communicate it. We want to have something communal with it. And that's what worship is. And even in this passage... To the individual worshiper, God says, I want you to do this with others. I want you to bring up, including the stranger in your midst, the foreigner, the one who's new and doesn't belong and maybe doesn't even believe what you believe. I want you to know about this. Even I want you to come to church sometime and see what we do on Sunday mornings. You know what? Nobody else in America gets up on Sunday mornings and sings. Only Christians. You know something? I don't know if you like the music or not, but the truth is, we do it because we think we have something to sing about. That's why we do it. That's what worship is. Worship is gratitude more than anything else because it begins with God. Worship is a priority. It is important for us. It matters to us. Worship is personal. It comes out of our own experience, but it's not just individual It's big. It's about a big story, and our worship tells a story. And worship is about joy. You glad to be here this morning? Are you glad to know God? Are you grateful to God today? Are there specific reasons from your life, from your week, that you're grateful to God? But are there other reasons that are, are like, way bigger than your life? Like, Jesus? Are you grateful? Do you want to share that with others? Do you want to get up in a few minutes and get in a line and go up and as you're taking the element, say, Jesus, thank you. I'm taking this today because I'm grateful that you died for me and you rose again and you matter to me and I need your help in a fresh way today. We're all going to, we'll do that individually. I can't eat for you and you can't eat for me, but I'll get in line with you this morning. It's what God calls us to together. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you that you are our priest, and we come through you to offer our gifts of thanksgiving. 
to the Father. And you're the one who shared this meal with us that we're about to celebrate. Thank you for allowing us individually and corporately to express how worthy you are, how much you matter to us, and to celebrate your goodness today. And we ask you to meet us right now in a fresh way. In your name we pray, Jesus.